You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, Tuesday, August the 17th. Fine, bright and dry here in TW11 today on the eve of the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival. And much chat about that festival to come in today's programme from American trainer Wesley Ward, from the general manager of York Stableside Complex, Faye Wardby, who herself is very much looking forward to Wesley Ward's golden pal. And she will be encouraged to hear what Ward has to say about that horse. From David Egan, who has a huge ride in tomorrow's Judmont International on Mishrif is this Mishrif's golden opportunity to grab that UK Group 1 prize surely with St Mark's Basilica out of the way it must be Freddie Powell joins us in association with Weatherby's Freddie is the executive director of Akana the huge sales house based in Deauville they've just completed their marquee sale the August sale and again some strong trade for yearlings and Freddie gives some interesting thoughts as to why that might be and for all that there is health in the sport if you're using that high-end sale as a barometer, the issue of small fields has come to a head again, highlighted by Racing TV colleague Graham Cunningham in a powerful polemic at the weekend. It's been picked up again by the Trade Daily, the Racing Post today. It's something we've talked about extensively on this podcast over the last 18 months with Lydia Hislop, David Yates, Lee Mottishead and others. In a minute, I will be hearing from RTE and Racing Racing TV broadcaster Jane Mangan. First, though, uh, welcome in Patrick Veach, the professional gambler, with whom I discussed the issue of uncompetitive racing and dwindling fields in an extensive interview on my Sunday programme on Racing TV in October 2020, when, Patrick, you correctly foresaw that something like this would blow up at around this point this summer. What's your reaction to, to the latest furor? What were the chances? I don't think they're going to be having me on Champion Mastermind. Next contestant, Patrick Beach, specialist subject, the bleeding obvious, as Basil Fawlty said. Um, yeah, uh, I see that the chap from the Racecourse Association is sticking to his guns. He was confident back in October that his, his mathematicians <clears throat> had it correct, uh, and he still doesn't believe there should be fewer fixtures. Um, any comparison to members, members of the uh, Flat Earth Society, I'm sure, are deeply unfair. Uh, the point is, though, surely that uh, aren't these aren't these fixtures making money for the racecourses in post-pandemic times? They see the bottom line. They just say, "Give us more fixtures." They say to the horsemen, "If you want more prize money, you can have more prize money. You can only have more prize money if you let us have more races, add more races to the existing fixtures." Works in the short term, in the medium and long term, you're strangling the uh, enthusiasm of the punters and of the customers going racing. We need to change. We need total change. We need a season-long narrative, uh, like with Formula One, where it starts with stage one, say the Craven and Greener meeting, maybe give Doncaster a big funding incentive to have a summer festival instead of the Lincoln meeting. It, no whimper into the flat season. That then needs to end. Maybe it's stage 16, again, like Formula One, like these really <clears throat> growth sports, that end with, say, Champions Weekend, no whimper out of the flat season. Before the flat season starts, uh, you need to have at least two weeks off flat racing, ideally four, 
so that you build the anticipation of the customer. All the most successful sports in recent times have done that by having situations where the punter has to wait and build his enthusiasm. Simply trying to squeeze as much as you can out of the punter and the racing customer today, tomorrow, is naive. You need to build their anticipation and get the most uh, interest out of them over not one day, but over five years, ten years, and the whole lifetime. And that's all there is to say on the subject, Nick. It's as simple as that. Horse, water, drink. Patrick Veach there. Jane Mangan joins me. Jane, interesting thoughts there from Patrick. And you sense that this oft-talked-about subject is, is gathering steam again, particularly with the new initiatives that, are, that have come forward this summer. Yes, and then was it only last week I was listening to somebody suggest, or was there a, a suggestion that maybe there should be more racing? My God, like, it's like we know adding a fifth day to the Cheltenham Festival is the wrong thing to do, but they're going to do it anyway. It's, it feels like this is an ongoing issue, particularly in the UK. There is too much racing. That's uh, that's what I believe to be the problem anyway. Highlighting an issue is one thing. The solution is pretty obvious. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I think I think now is a time to, to make it quite quite clear that if you're going to introduce new initiatives, then something's got to give. You, you can't just simply expect horses to appear magically from nowhere that, that don't exist. That's only one part of the issue. Another part of the issue is that the fixture list was bloated as it stood, uh, but now we've got a situation where the major racecourse groups want more fixtures or at least more races added to their fixtures and are trying to hold the horsemen over a barrel and say, well, if you want more prize money, we want more fixtures. and We want more races at each fixture, have nine, ten race fixtures, uh, because they feel that the economics and their media rights payments make it work for them that way. Now, where are those media rights payments coming from? Well, they're coming from the bookmakers. Yet certain bookmakers have said, well... We actually would rather have racing more well spaced out. There's too much of it. The fixture list needs looking at, readdressing. We don't want all these fixtures on a Saturday. Yet the race courses are telling you a rather different story. So who are we supposed to believe and who's running the sport? I mean, the BHA will get scrutinised because they are called the British Horse Racing Authority. So in titular terms, they are the ones that are responsible. And they do have, to a greater or lesser extent, some responsibility over the cultivation of the fixture list, but they don't have complete control of it. And in truth, the way that horse racing is structured at the moment, far from being the tripartite collaboration it's supposed to be, it's a it's a land grab, it's a power grab. And the racecourses hold the balance of power, particularly post the pandemic. Take these new initiatives that are incredibly well-meant, and in many respects, I fully support. The Racing League is something that has been created by a, a private company with the backing of the of the BHA, with the support of, of the racecourses that are participants within it, but thereby not with the support of a huge body of racecourses that are not within it, and by a huge body of the horsemen who are not part of it. Similarly, the new Skybet Sunday series is a joint venture between one bookmaker, one terrestrial broadcaster, one media rights company, and a couple of racecourses. That is therefore excluding a huge part of the industry that is not necessarily backing that. They haven't had to have fixtures created for them, but they've had to remodel their fixtures for a certain population of horses. 
And that has meant that obviously you are drawing from that pool and from the racing league pool a huge amount of horses out of races that otherwise they would have been running in. So it's a question of lack of collaboration, lack of obvious leadership and just perfectly reasonable opportunism on the part of those within the sport to say right well we'll do something if nobody else can be bothered to do anything that is strategic and sensible uh, there is just a, a a central power vacuum given the way that the sport is 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 anachronistically structured and there's my rant for the day that's the question who's in charge there we can all be greedy we can all make more money if you do more work but essentially we're going to exhaust the system we don't want to dilute well we already have diluted our program we don't want to do it even further we know we know it's the wrong thing to do in the long term but it's a short-term benefit for people it's a selfish thing to do and there needs to be leadership and it seems in this particular subject that's vastly lacking yes and as we head into the yearling sales season and we talk about production numbers and how you know we export a lot of our horses you will see the middle to lower tier bracket you know barely make ends meet those types of breeders those all those horses cannot make a profit and that is where it starts you may blow the program book but there has to be horses to run in it and those horses cannot all be worth a lot of money so it's not just the end product we're talking about these horses have to come from somewhere Right, that is uh, enough of that, I think, for the time being. David Egan is the man charged with steering Mishriff in tomorrow's Judmont International. Surely this is a great chance for Mishriff to get that all-important domestic Group 1 that his connections have been talking about all season after his creditable second, more than creditable second, excellent second behind Adair in the King George. On behalf of Great British Racing and British Champion Series, Cornelius Lysett has been talking to Mishriff's rider and he began by saying to him that his task was made markedly easier by the defection of St Mark's Basilica, the horse who'd beaten him handsomely in the Coral Eclipse. Exactly, look, St Mark's Basilica has been outstanding this season and uh, obviously unfortunate what happens, nobody wants that. We want the best horses going for these big races, but uh, look, even besides St Mark's Basilica not running, it's still a, still a very strong field and a lot of good opposition to, to take on on Wednesday. So when, when did you hear the news? Did you hear the news just like the rest of us this morning on the... Yeah, just on the on the I actually got a racing post notification. That was when I when I heard the news, and uh, obviously looking, keeping an eye on the on the entry de- uh, declaration track, and I saw that uh, he wasn't declared in love, he was declared. So that was a yeah, big deal. Oh, uh, do, do you allow yourself a little smile on those occasions, or do you just concentrate on the other on the other horses? Yeah, it's all about concentrating on your own horse. One horse isn't going to make a horse races sort of whether or not St. Max Basilica ran or not, he's still, there's still a lot of good opposition in the race. So, uh, look, it's, it's one out of the way, but look, there's a lot of good opposition that we um, got to face on Wednesday. Um, pr- presumably just on your horse, first of all, the, the, the vibes are all good from, um, from Goldstone HQ. Yeah, everything's gone smoothly. His preparation has been good. Um, I was really pleased with how he progressed from his first run of the season and in the eclipse to uh, to the King George. Thought the King George run was a fantastic run, finishing behind a, an absolute monster in a day. But giving him so much weight, um, we won't need to give the three-year-olds as much weight in the Judmont, which which always helps. And uh, 
I'm dropping my lad back to back to Mala, a corner. I think will only play to to his strengths. So, just concentrating on the Eclipse for a second, because of his international globe trotting, your horse has got a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of horses, a lot of people really into this uh, horse. Sure. So, go to the Eclipse, and quite a lot of them were a tiny bit disappointed. You're sounding as though what 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 was your reaction to the to the finishing position? Look, Mr. Gosling is fantastic with these top class international horses and he's he was never gonna have Mishra for 110% for his first day of the season because he's got a long kind of program mapped out by himself and Prince Faisal. And uh look, we knew he, he was entitled to come on from the race, but he probably just ran a little bit rusty. He got tired coming up that stiff hill in Sandown and to be fair, even with getting tired, he, he still got St. Mark's Basilica off the bridle and probably got, got a few people in their camp a bit worried because I'm sure if he travels so strongly into his races and he's a horse that when he gets relaxed into his races, sort of his impressive turn of foot kind of comes between the three furlongs and the two furlongs to get him into contention in the races. And we saw that in the King George, how he went from the back of the field to nearly hitting the front and put it up to to the to the winner so uh no he's a fantastic horse to be associated with and i'm very excited to ride him on on wednesday david egan there on on mishrif jane it, it was considered very important at the beginning of this year that mishrif won a uk group one do you believe it is crucial to his reputation i think for connections when they're looking down the road of a stallion prospect it is vital uh, particularly if he's going to stand in Europe. Um, it's difficult for breeders to get a handle on international form. I, I think his versatility on surfaces is a huge appealing draw for breeders in the future. And I, I think he's getting his ideal conditions tomorrow. Quick ground over 10 furlongs. I was dubious at the King George. He came with a big run. He travelled as good as any any horse and he just maybe flattened out or wasn't good enough to get to JR inside the last furlong at Ascot. I think back and trip, two furlongs, this is ideal for him. Totally understand this race is a stallion-making race. The Judmont International has time and time again proved crucial to horses in the stallion show, their reputation. And for me, he brings in a really solid level of form, a very consistent level of form. And for you, Jane, uh, Mishriff and the Judmont International horses aside, who are going to dominate this week on the Knavesmire, either human or equine? Well, having looked across the board, I don't think the Irish are going to play a big hand, but I do think it's a make-or-break week for Andrew Balding. I know you're not a big fan of talking about standings and championships at this stage of the season, but it is. it has to be said, Andrew Balding goes into the week around £300,000 clear, of Charlie Appleby, and he is well represented across all divisions. And while he does lead Charlie Appleby and Aidan O'Brien, it is notable that, of course, Andrew Balding is not a private trainer. He has a, an array, a, a variety of good horses in all different divisions for loads of different connections, and that's what's impressive for me. Obviously, it's going to kickstart tomorrow with Alcohol Free, the big one. Will she stay? Loads of questions about her, but I love that they're trying. And then it'll follow on to Sandrine, Berkshire Shadow, uh, right through to Saturday where he has two, Alunac and Tribal Craft in the Ebor Handicap. So this, for me, is a make-or-break week for Andrew Balding. If he's going to be champion trainer, he's going to have to have a good week at York. 
Well, it's a massive week for the team on the Knavesmire, and not just those who you see plenty of, but those who are working behind the scenes too. None more important than Faye Wardby, who's the general manager at Stableside, which is the new and refurbished Stable Staff facility at York Racecourse. Faye, um, no doubt this is your, your most important week of the year. Um, I'm just wondering how you're managing to fit in five minutes to talk to me. Nick, we've just had our food delivery for the first few days of um, of, of the meeting because we all provide free food and drink for all the stable staff that come here. We, we try and look after our, our our guests. So we're just in the middle of putting all that away, but uh, we've got five minutes for you. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself because you, you come from a York racecourse background, don't you? It is It is very much in your blood. Absolutely. I've been here since I was 15, so perhaps revealing my age. I've been here for 15 years now. It's my 15th season. My dad and my granddad were bookies on course before. Um, my uncle works in the accounts team still. He's been here for probably 30 years, as Richard. And my nana was a cleaner here, so I think it's deep in your race course history. And so you growing, you, you growing up obviously knew the place really well. Did, did you actually ever imagine you'd become an integral part of it? No, I, I remember coming to the track with my dad. I remember finishing my, my GCSEs, um, coming up on the course and watching and saying, oh, should, we, should we go racing today? And standing watching some of the greats win. It was like Sergeant Cecil winning the Ebor. I remember Pete and Form winning the Yorkshire Oaks. I never thought that um, I'd be behind the scenes here at the stables watching them before they went and won. It's such an interesting side of it, and it's so there's such beautiful animals, and seeing the care and love that goes into them, um, and yeah, it being such a part of helping them look after, I couldn't imagine that this would be the path, really. And, I'm very lucky that it has been come. And for those who aren't familiar, that there is something quite unusual about the way that the stables are laid out at York, and the geography of it, and the way the horses have to have to walk across the track. Just tell us a, a little bit more about that. So we have four stable blocks that are arranged around our main accommodation block. Um, Leanne's our stable manager here. She looks after them. Um, she sorts all the, the, the stables out. She does such a great job. And in the middle of the foreyard, we have a little bowling green. They've been here for, for many years, the, the York Bowling Green. And then we're tucked away, so there's quite a long walk over, probably about a 10, 15-minute walk over with the horses before they get to the parade ring. But we like to think that our, our hospitality, our Yorkshire hospitality here and the food and how we look after them makes up for, for the long walk, perhaps. But, so um, so you, you, you've got a really important job because you're not only looking after the, the horses, but you're looking after the, the staff as well. And yeah, there's huge focus on the part of the whole industry on, on how we look after our, our, our workforce. Uh, tell me what, what York has done over the last few seasons to really be a sort of brand leader in this regard. So we've undergone a, a wonderful renovation of all our main building bedrooms now. So we really strive to provide single accommodation that's got a fantastic ensuite that we've just introduced. And during the COVID uh, pandemic, all of the facilities team um, helped us. They transformed the bedrooms. They've got a wonderful rainforest shower, kettles, tea and hospitality trays, wonderful super king size beds. Everybody um, mucked in and helped. Uh, William, Mr. Darby, he has been tiling. He's been learning to tile with it with Carl from our facilities team, and, and, and even Bridget, our chairman. Bridget has been laying flooring. So everyone's really laid a, you know, put a hand in creating these lovely facilities, which we think are, are hopefully the best in the country. 
And then York have always made a commitment that we provide free food and drink for the racing staff when they come and travel here. So we have a, a wonderful Yorkshire breakfast um, and we, we, we try and provide some really lovely home-cooked food for everybody when they're here. And I'm, I'm quite intrigued by that sense of, you know, if somebody's had a huge win and then they come back to you, you, you almost get that, that sort of lovely afterglow, I guess. I'm, I'm used to, you're picking, picking up a fair few disappointments as well, but... Yeah, I remember when Roaring Lion won his judgment, um, the, the lad that was with him, he was so happy. He came in, um, we helped him out, he had a few beers, he bought a beer for everybody going back on the on the lorry um, to celebrate with everybody. It, it's so fantastic to see, you know, the, the, the pride and love that these people put into their horses and, and we feel that too um, with them. And yeah, it, it, they, they, all, they all celebrate together and we, we, we have a bit of a party on the evening once, uh, once they come back victorious and and what are you particularly looking forward to this week Faye oh I think in terms of the racing I think Numthorpe on Friday is going to be an absolutely amazing race um, we've we've had the, the grooms from and, and from Wesley Ward we've had Golden Powell with us since since Friday evening he's here now he's, he's, he's gearing up for Friday he's, and, and Tiger um, Strike the Tiger's with him as well he's a lovely horse um, so I really, I'm really looking forward to seeing him strut his stuff on Friday and what a matchup with Sueza as well. Hopefully that she'll she'll really take take the race to him. Faye Ward be there, the general manager of Stableside. A busy week for her and her team. Good luck to them. She mentioned Wesley Ward and Golden Powell. And we don't just throw this podcast together. I spoke to Wesley and I began by asking him why he thought this horse, and he's always very keen on his horses, let's make no mistake, but why he thought this horse in particular was quite so good. Oh, he's just—he's just an unbelievable horse, you know. From from day one, he's just been very special, and I, I think he's—you uh, know—he's he's doing really very very well right now as far as soundness, and and I think he's gonna—he's really gonna come to hand, and and uh, in the next few starts here, really show what I what I've always believed he was. Well, this race has been a little elusive for me in the last couple of tries, so I I just think I'm—I got the right. I got the right bullet in the holster here, so hopefully, um, you know, I know it's it's a tough race, and uh, there's, you know, the the best of the best sprinters uh, in Europe are in there, but uh, I just re- I just really think that that this guy's gonna, he's he's traveled well, he's got uh, nice spacing between his race t- to this particular uh, to the Nunthorpe, and I think he's, you know, it's it's everything you'd want right now. So I'm 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 very confident. I'm. And uh, just just because I, I have so much confidence and faith in this Colt, uh, you think he could be the best horse you've ever had? I do. I've always thought that you know from from when I seen him as a as a yearling at the sales, um, and uh, I got him to train, and and you know he's he he, he should be undefeated. Really, there was a couple of uh, jockey errors that uh, wasn't so much their fault. It's just that they didn't know that Colt. Uh, uh, very well. I think if they'd have known him a little better, that they'd have, they'd have called upon him at the right time. Otherwise, I think he'd have, he'd be undefeated. In his initial start, he opened up, you know, seven, eight lengths. The first twenty-one and two. I know that uh, in Europe they don't go by time, but he and that, that was just too much for him on the dirt uh, in his first start, where he was just beaten. Um, and then and then uh, unfortunately in in ask. A little bit the same, you know. He 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 was with the Learjet, and then he kind of shot away from him, and then, and then 
he just got to flounder a little bit the last part. I think if uh, Andrea, who didn't know him very well, if he'd kind of just sat there a little bit and, and asked him uh, when he needed to, just right before the line, that we'd be all right. I is I was a jockey, and I know I know how it is when you're sitting on, especially one of my speed guys, and you just think it's, you know, when you go, they're, they're not going to stop. But now I think this colt's really matured now. And, uh, you know, I've had so much luck in the past with Frankie. I've got great faith in him. So I think we're, we're, we're ready. And how's Campanelli after Deauville? That was a, an unfortunate episode. Yeah, I, I seen her yesterday. She's at Barbara's Farm here in Kentucky. She flew home and uh, she was fine. Um, Frankie sent me a little bit isolated shot of the, of the break where she kind of lunged in the air. And she, when, she, when he came down, hit him right on the side of the head there. And he said he... Uh, of his face, he said that he was a little bit dazed for a couple of a couple of seconds, and and to where she kind of just kind of eased her out, and she took off. And when you're spotting a field like that, you know, five, five or six lengths, you know, I don't I don't really want to make excuses, but there certainly was one there. Wesley Ward there. Good luck to him with Golden Pal in the Coolmore Nunthorpe Stakes. It's Tuesday, so we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their stallion book and their excellent global stallion app. And it is to Deauville we head today to Arcana, to their sale, which has just been complete, reflecting on the first two parts of the sale, which took place uh, Sunday, Monday, with Freddie Powell, their executive director. And he began by telling me that it just got off to a slow enough start. The first night was... Um was a little bit slow to start with and the results were acceptable but uh, nothing like uh, pre-covid uh, type of sales like 20 was way down from 2019 if you compare the figures but uh, last night a lot of people were saying uh, we had better horses last night due to the uh, alphabetical order um, and uh, it picked up really well it was a really good recovery and we end up with being done only eight uh, percent compared to um, uh, 2019 was one of our best year ever. So we are satisfied so far. I mean, I suppose the question for for anyone just sort of taking a peek into our into our curious world, they're saying, how are people still spending this kind of money? given the the difficulties the world has been through over the last 18 months. And that's been a a recurring motif on this podcast from from all around the world. Yes, there have been difficult sales, but at the higher end, the money has continued to flow. Where's it flowing from, Freddie? (laughs) Um, I think one of the things that we need to realise is how uh, effective uh, all the authorities, like I know how it did work in France, but we started racing again in May last year. Um... And basically everybody was in lockdown and stuck at home and at least you could watch racing. And so the people who already had horses and money and assets, they probably uh, thought, well, that's a good way of spending uh, time during lockdown is watch racing. So I'd say, and people, I'm not an economist, but uh, I'm just repeating what I've heard a bit uh, from from experts and he's like, Assets during that pandemic were um, uh, they were key for people who already, already had assets, and so people who had money they didn't lose money really, and uh, so say so people who already had horses they wanted to buy more. Yes, that's probably the, one of the reasons. 
Is there evidence of, of new investment from, from what you can see? We know we've lost three of the most important owner breeders in the last 12 months in David Thompson, Sheikh Hamdan and Prince Khalid. Is there evidence of, of significant new investment? Um, a little bit. We, we have a few French entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, it's, becoming, um, it's becoming a bit trendy to have horses in France at the minute uh, for French entrepreneurs, young uh, sports guy. Um, we've got some footballers, um, ex uh, basketball player Tony Parker is investing a bit, and so it's um, no, it's quite encouraging, and they are leading basically a, a new generation into horse racing. So it is encouraging. It's not like we see; it's not like a massive uh, investment uh, like we could see with when a new check uh, arrive on the market, but. Uh, you know, uh, so on that front, like, if you ask me, have we got a new uh, investor to replace uh, Shadwell uh, purchase and everything, uh, at this stage, we don't, no. That said, again, Oliver St. Lawrence has been very busy at your sale, and, and he's been buying on behalf of his, his Bahraini clients. They do seem to be becoming a, a growing force. Yes, already last year, they, they purchased the... Uh, but, um, the top price, um, the sister to Satsas and sister Charlie, who's in training now with Roger Varian. Uh, so last year they were already quite big on the on the um, purchase sheet. So um, yeah, Oliver Oliver is leading uh, leading buyer so far, and last year I think he was as well. And as we speak now, um, the the top lot so far is a, a daughter of of Dubawi, bought by bought by Charlie Gordon Watson. Um, what's the story with her? So um, she's she was owned and bred by um, a relatively new guy in the business, a guy who, who created a, a, um, a cloth uh, brand called Zadig and Voltaire. Uh, Thierry Gillier bought a farm near Deauville, and from about five or six years ago, they started buying quite a few expensive uh, mares at the breeding stock sale, and they raised a few first foals, um, and uh, and now they're putting some on the market, uh, and so that was great to see that uh, straight away they had a fantastic result like this. They were very very happy. The older team was here, and they and they were it was like uh, looking at them winning a group one race. And you've got the third day starting today. Uh, it's it, it, the expectations wouldn't be quite as great on on this as the previous two days, would it? No, exactly. No, it's a different uh, it's a different part of the cell. So it's a uh, it's more. Um, there are some good looking horses, obviously some decent sires, but it's more like for for mare who's been exposed a little bit more, and you know, it's more like a. Uh, how do you say a race horse type of sale uh, horse made for trainers um, so we we had plenty of very good winners out of that part of the sale but uh, no no definitely the uh, the average gonna drop quite a bit because it's less international than uh, the first two days that's for sure but in terms of in terms of uh, pedigrees that did well at the at the select part of the sale, uh, you know we we're used to seeing Dubawi and Kingman and Sayuni doing doing extremely well. Were there any horses that really started to break through? Um, 
think people like the Roaring Lions uh, in terms of young sires. Saxon warriors were definitely uh, as well um, among the sires people liked. Um, uh, obviously, uh, I'm looking at the result at the same time. Almanzor, um, he has his first year this year, and the, uh, they seem to. Uh, they seem to, there is a fellow who made a 450 Amanda Skiffington boat. So, you know, it's. Uh, can see a few new sires coming along, um, and first, uh, it's not a, a massive year on first season sires. You, we don't have that many, but um, no, I think the Roaring Lion on the part one of the cell really uh, pleased people, and the Saxon Warriors are the, yeah, they are the two uh, that people were talking about really. Thank you to Freddie Powell, to Wesley Ward, to Faye Wardby, to David Egan, and to Patrick Veach at the beginning of the programme. And, of course, Jane Mangan, who is going to send you home with a winner. I am going to go day one tomorrow. The great Voltageurs race, I often, I, I really like to watch. And I think Kamari, his first run since the Queen's Vase Alaska, where he beats Wordsworth. It's a pity he's a gelding, because I'd fancy him for a St. Ledger. But Kamari, for me, to get back to winning ways in the Voltageur at 3 o'clock tomorrow. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow for day one of the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.